Hello, welcome to another Azure-centric podcast on our Azure Weekly updates. My name is Marcos Nogueira, and with me I have Angelos. How are you, Andrew? I am amazing today. Thank you so much. You're for very having welcome. Me. Very welcome. It's been it's been some times that we are not doing this, um, and and some family issues and a lot of those coming along, and uh, that they are kind of stopping us of having some fun but we are we are so we, back we, yeah we've had some work we've had yes. some blessings and we've had some not so blessings and uh that's life though right? I, I, that's part of being exactly human. it's like exactly so we we all suffer absolutely <laughs> but the important part is we are back and now we have our uh, weekly talk right and yeah. and that's the most important thing at least for me it allows me to just get on topic but off topic at the same time <laughs> on... yes well if only we had the recording of all of our our musings as we uh pretended to get ready for the exactly. podcast today exactly <laughs> talking about everything except absolutely the podcast, so. absolutely although this week on the azure right we had kind of um a more towards the database and azure sql and all of that that we usually yeah. it we don't cover Right, because it's not our specialty, um, but it it was pretty cool to see all the updates that they had uh, regarding the Azure. It was, there was quite a lot of uh, work around the data side. So if you're if you're on the the Azure SQL side, SQL Server, and especially PostgreSQL, yeah. um, there seemed to be a lot of really great. Uh, updates available in those areas. So go ahead and check it out on the Microsoft blog. There's some really cool Absolutely. stuff in there. For although, for although we save one because we had to talk about that, right? About SQL. Uh, that that it's it's been in our uh, in our world a lot of times, and it's it facilitates what we're having right now, which is amazing. Um, I have I have to say, uh, but um, more than that. It's just being a normal week on Azure. A lot of updates, a lot of good news um, that is coming. Mm -hmm. And I think we should starting. But before that, uh, let me thank you to all of you subscribers. Even with this hit and miss um, type of, of, of podcast, you are still there. Uh, and and we, <laughs> we appreciate that. that. We acknowledge that. But again, don't forget to subscribe the channel um in, in the way that allow us in this case to to be uh, more uh, helpful for you guys uh, during the weeks Absolutely. that we've been off uh, especially uh, on this winter season um it was not on purpose it was just a combination of factors but we receive a lot of love uh, from you guys uh, so please keep keep going That's true keep uh, um, uh, supporting us. We do appreciate that. And we want to do the best in this case for all of you, right? And and now that I get that off of my chest, right? I think it's time to roll and coming back to the updates. So let's roll. So welcome back and let's jump to the first one. 
The first one is the general availability of support for private link in Azure Digital Twins. I have to say that usually we don't talk about Azure Digital Twins. We did debate it a lot if we did if we should include this update or not in our podcast, but we give it away because it's so cool. Um, and Digital Twins is one of those areas that I do love talking about it. Okay. I unfortunately I don't have an exp an extended experience of deploying it. Um but I've been working on some projects. Um and but it's it's still cool and it's it's talk about the infrastructure. So that's why that's exactly. why we're including on on over here, right? So Agile Digital Twins, do you want to start on that one for our uh, listeners and, and viewers? What it, what is sure. your perspective on Agile Digital Twins? So the reason we included this was, was, of course, twofold, right? So one private link is now yeah. available for use with Azure Digital Twins. So private link allows us to have kind of direct access over private networking, right? So it's a little bit more secure um, in many ways. And that's something that companies have really been looking for, not just companies, organizations have been really looking for. So digital twins when we kind of think at the basic level what is digital twins it allows us to use kind of two tools that we're mostly familiar with in kind of infrastructure and modeling worlds so we can use open modeling language to help us build and explore and use the models and of course it's all built on top uh, like many things in azure of json right so the JSON allows us to have kind of that common knowledge across different, let's say, systems, uh, services, and infrastructure that we might use and deploy in our Azure world. And now we can kind of relate that a little bit more to digital twins. So what the models do in digital twins is it allows us to define, and I'm, I'm going to read on from the definition a little bit here. So it allows us to define semantic relationships, not the product, actual semantics here, between your entities so that you can connect your twins into a graph that reflects their interactions. And it says we can think of those models as nouns in a description of your world and the relationships as verbs. So the relationships are the actions and the descriptions those models, those are the, the things, the nouns in our world. So I kind of like that it brings it back to the kind of a standard uh, grammatical definition in that way, because it takes some of the mystery out of what the heck is a digital twin anyways, yeah. right? In, in my perspective, I have a, a way more simpler way to explain uh, or to, to kind of a concept, but that that's a very good one and very detailed. Um, for me, digital twins, it's nothing more than, and I always go, and you know, and you know me, uh, I always go to similar things that it can ease your mind on, on the way that you can configure uh, or what it is in this case, digital twins. So if you have, for example, um, the a stadium or a factory uh, or a, a building, right? So you have the, the floor plan and you have what's called the blueprints, right? So all of that design of the blueprints, 
and it's on those designs you're going to mark for example um where you have this type of uh, either an electrical uh, an outlet uh, electrical where you're going to pass the cables where you're going to pass those cables where you're going to have a camera where you're going to have an elevator whatever it is that you're going to 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 put it you're going to mark on those uh, on those blueprints usually blue blueprints they are in 2d they are not in 3d so even if you have like floors you either have the blueprint of the of the entire building or you have the map for the floor if it doesn't change right so i have that when when i when i built my house for example uh, i was working on those blueprints and i say no no i want my uh, wireless uh, access point on this location i want and then they're starting to design it and you're starting to have that so for me in this case the azure digital twins not for me but uh is nothing more than a creation of those twin graphs so transport that from the paper right from those graphics into a model that's going to be 3d that you can see live what's going to happen so usually digital twins it's it's highly um linked to iot and and, and all, all of those yeah. type of things that's why we don't cover too much over here but now with the support of private link inside of digital twins it changed a little bit the game because now allows you to anything that you have as azure resources so for example azure event hubs uh, azure storage or azure cosmos db to have inside of a private vnet that is inside mm -hmm. of your network doesn't go anymore to the outside world and now you can have that by servicing that uh, a private endpoint and that's why we we bring this over because we already talk a lot of times about private link right um and the way that the private link works and the way that now the digital twin instance you can restrict the trafficking right between those instances between that through the private link um and that that is the part that we like about 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 this about this update uh, and bringing over exactly. to this podcast but yes uh, your explanation was uh, awesome <laughs> the best yeah. kind of correct no, it, was, it was you know <laughs> it's like yeah i was not expecting that i have to say to go too deep on that but yes uh, it, it is it is the it is the the the, the right one I, I, also, I usually like more the simple one um because we we keep the idea we don't want to to um, show that we are so experts in iot that we aren't right uh that is <laughs> definitely not my intention there but we we did we, you know when we chatted before we hit the record button and we said well do we want to include this kind of a yes or no and we said well no but yes i think we should and we agreed uh and i think i think i just want to share it with our, our viewers and our listeners because it's part of yeah. our process and why the heck did we just spend like five minutes or whatever talking about digital twins and iot technology and azure blueprint and private link 
with this loose connection to private link, right? So we felt that a lot of times as Azure cloud or Microsoft cloud professionals, we don't hear enough about digital twins. So we hear it in the news, we see this or that, but what the heck is it? How do we use it? What's it there for? And all of these kind of updates around um, improving performance or improving security in the case of private link as well, um, around using and interacting with digital twins, it's a really useful, really cool technology. And we just wanted to give it a little bit of, uh, what's the word? A little bit of spotlight, yeah. I guess, so that everybody else can understand as well that there's some other stuff, and certainly there's lots to Azure that we don't always focus on, but this was one that is really cool that I kind of wish we could focus on, but it's definitely more IoT focused. And we like to stay a little bit more, uh, let's be simple, I guess, and say infrastructure focused in yeah. this case. So yeah. it's just kind of the why. And it's a but cool it is an infrastructure one, right? Although although it, it this digital twin is, is heavily used on the IoT world or connected more to the IoT world, it still leverage the infrastructure. That's why we bring it uh, to over here because I think it's it shows we starting to have all of those services that basically it's like a, the best example is the IoT world, right? IoT it's used the internet to connect from your endpoint, for example, and a lot of times uh, to the to the cloud. So uh, now be able to starting using that uh, because they belong to a building, they belong to that, to use that on a private link. What I'm doing in, in, in at the end is increase the security because all of that traffic is no longer going to the public even if it's encrypted and you have everything there it just shows that you now you can be more specific or, or not specific, be more secure in this case because everything is internal you don't need to expose anymore those types exactly. of services to the internet um even if you have um yeah you don't need to expose so in this case, you are... It stays on the Microsoft backbone yeah. now, right? It's, yeah, it's, exactly. Yeah. Uh, although leverage all of that, and and and, and probably in a lot of cases, um, it requires a, a, an awful amount of, of infrastructure to support it. Like, for example, the, uh, express routes of life, something like that, firewalls, zero yeah. trust model, and, and, and a lot of those type of things that... It could be it could be some kind of uh, overwhelming uh, and um, not. So this is one piece of the is. puzzle, right? So it's like we always um, tell many of our different clients. I, I always make that Shrek joke from so many years ago now. But, you know, ogres are like onions and so is security, right? We have to think of it in many layers. And at the core is really just fundamentals. Yes. So when it gets right down to it, um, we have to do the basics before we can focus on the complex pieces like private endpoints, um, you know, different types of routing and private routing and all these things. So if we do the basics really well, we're going to protect ourselves against the biggest 
set of threats that are out there. Then we refine it down and down and down, all those layers within the onion. So it's this is one of the pieces that makes up part of a layer with private networking and network management. Um, I don't want to dive too deep into networking today. That's for sure. I'm far too tired to think about that. Right no, now. but that, that's okay. That's exactly that's exactly the idea over here is to have an open conversation to talk about that. And, and we explored so many ways that this can be this can be implemented and this can be used. I think now it's it's time for from our next one because we, we we cannot spend the entire podcast talking. We can. And, and we should. We, well, we ended up talking about onions after we started with that one. So I think we're good. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Moving to the next one. It's a cool one, I have to say. But it's in public preview. Trusted launch support for virtual machines using ephemeral OS disks. So, again, this is going to the security that the part that we like it, right? And now the trusted launch is a seamless way to improve security on the generation 2 VM. So this was one of the things that I love about Hyper-V. I have to say it. I have to take out of my chest. Okay. That was one of the things when we had Hyper-V in, 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 in on-premise, I remember this like, like today, like was yesterday, not today, like it was yesterday that, um, when they launched the generation two hyper -V, uh, virtual machines on Hyper-V, so no BIOS, it was a UFEI virtual machine. They launched yeah. what's called the virtual TPM. So basically, what you are doing is you are creating an environment that you send to that virtual machine that she cannot run outside of that environment. So even if they, because a virtual machine is nothing more than file combination of files any virtual machine exactly doesn't matter which platform you're talking about okay is a combination of files so if anyone not good intent okay goes there and, and, and copies those files they can for example uh, the, the entire time I, I when i was uh, i was teaching and i was delivering workshops and and, and having those talks and, and even talking with with people at, at ignite for example I always give exactly the same example. That was, if you are able to access your storage, for example, and you copy the VHD of your domain controller, okay, um, you can brute force that VHD and the domain controller and all of that into a totally off-site system because it, it will not exactly. be allow you in this, it will not stop you because you don't have that. That's why they create this virtual TPM. Because now you can say to that virtual machine that this is your range of servers that you can have, that you can run. Outside of that, you can even open the VHD file because it doesn't, it doesn't have the encryption key to allow you to access that. So that was revolutionary at that time. Not even VMware had that. Uh, the VMware at the end, it comes few months after with that new functionality. Um, and, exactly. and now, finally, years after, we're starting to see that happening um, on, on Azure. Because Azure is running uh, uh, Hyper-V, right? So for me, it's a kind of, it's an emotional one, I have to say. <laughs> 
There was. You get very passionate yeah. about um, some of these technologies, but this is an important one. And, you know, when we're talking about securing the OS disks as part of the VM as a whole with that virtual TPM, this is really important. So they're, you know, they build this kind of on that trusted launch, that trusted computing yeah. platform. Um, you know, this is, uh, as much as I don't like the word that kind of holistic approach to security, really all I mean is we're considering all of the things, everything, that holistic view. So it's a really great update because this is one that I think has been a long time coming. Um, they've been probably, I have to assume, working on this for ages and ages to get it to a point where now we can include not just the, the operating system disk, but also the ephemeral disks, right? So the more the uh, dynamic kind of uh, addressing of the disks or identification, I guess, of the disks in this way. So I think that this is really cool. It builds on top of some of the the things that are very familiar to us as administrators with Hyper-V or VMware, whatever the flavor is. Um, and I always find it fascinating how they're both kind of, you know, VMware and Microsoft are kind of everybody ones up the other one every couple of months and then they catch up and then somebody else yeah. does something and then they catch up. And <laughs> it's really interesting because it keeps, I think, everything really polished uh, so that we have as kind of the users and administrators and consumers of these services, we benefit uh, from that very healthy competition between the two. And I, I, this is one of those ones that is yeah, really is. great. I and love it. Although there, there are a few things that is in public preview. Okay. And so you need to be careful with that. Um, Should I use this in production? No, of course not. Uh, because there are a few things that uh, this is applying for. So first, first and foremost, this is only when you're creating a new virtual machines. So if you have the existing ones, it's not going to work. Okay. Uh, okay. So it's for new virtual machines. So that is going to be one of the reasons. The other one is there are a lot of limitations. So I highly recommend you to going there. Uh, so level of sizes, okay? not all the virtual machines can have this. Okay. You have to remember this is a generation two virtual machine. Okay. So when you're creating a new virtual machine on Azure, you have the option to create a, a generation one and generation two. This is only applies for generation two. You have a bunch of US uh, of OSs in this case that they are supporting. Um, theoretically, it's for all the public regions. Okay. Although there are a few services that they are not supported. Okay. Uh, you have to remember that because you are encrypting the virtual machine and you are saying that you are allowing that virtual machine to run on that particular uh, location, right? So as you can imagine, for example, Azure Site Recovery, it's not supported uh, for now, okay? Although I found curious, I don't know if, if, if you know or not, but uh, the title of this update is Trusted Launch Support for Virtual Machines Using Ephemeral um, OS Disks. But if you go into the article, okay, and I know that you like those type of things, they say that the following pictures are not supported. And one of the pictures <laughs> <laughs> that they say 
is ephemeral OS disks. <laughs> yep. So it's kind of um, probably this is not being updated uh, or it's been updated, but it say they've been updated this and it says that it's in preview. Uh, but yes, so so don't don't worry, test it. This is the reason that we are always saying if it's in public preview, test it because this change because a lot of times you need to have a lot of those type of of, of configurations. Uh, uh, the VMs that you are using, it's not going to work. Uh, sometimes uh, the OS support, I think it's quite a bit the good OS support for now. Um, we just need to 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 do that. Um, yeah. So so it's it's pretty cool that they have this this announcement, right? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So if you're if you're curious about it, go read. There's a really good FAQ um, linked out of the update article on the Azure blog. So uh, some of the FAQs kind of address um, a few of the things that we've chatted about with concerns um, in that area. But we also have to remember trusted launch is very particular. So uh, with this being in public preview, much like what you were saying, um, for crying out loud, please be yeah. careful with it. Use it sparingly in your dev test or something like that. Uh, just be aware that uh, things will change rapidly, especially on trusted launch platform. And it might mean you have to kind of nuke the the configuration and then redeploy the VM. Yeah, exactly. Right? So another good another good reason to be comfortable with JSON. It is. It is. It's always good to have your backup plan and tested. Uh, create a very good test plan because it allows you to be more comfortable and knowing what you're doing because this is going to secure your VM. Yes, it will, but it might be make it so really difficult to operate that sometimes security, they have that kind of balance, right? So you need to balance how you're going to protect your workload, your VM, the, the application you have inside, and at the same time, right, if you want to operate, so what's going to happen if you want to do patches? Uh, what's going to happen if, if there is any uh, deviation from the machine, for example, that you have? Um, we had a lot of a lot of uh, problems, like uh, even on on-premise, on that uh, by updating the version for example, yeah. of the hypervisor, right? It did change. It changed the, the something inside of the VM that blocks the VM, <laughs> and now you need, and now you cannot do anything on the VM, and now you... I remember it was a very minor fiasco yeah. with that. So, yeah. so <laughs> you have to remember that it's awesome to have this, but you need to test it if your application works great, because if you are changing a lot of those type of things, so probably this is not the, the, the technology for you. Uh, <laughs> I just want to say it out loud because I've been there. We've, we've been there. I've been there a lot of times. Yeah, and there's nothing in the world like the feeling when you log on to your Hyper-V uh, cluster and uh, you think you're supposed to have like uh, 200 VMs listed on that cluster and you see like two. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> what, what do you mean they won't start? What do you mean they've unregistered? 
<laughs> what it means that they are not high availability? Hello? <laughs> yeah, been there several times. So that's that's why right. that's why we have this 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 podcast and this show to just share our right? experience. We get a little bit of street creds with some of the some of the gray hairs that we burned. <laughs> Lack of. <laughs> Well, uh, you know, I keep it short so you don't notice, but, yeah. <laughs> I, use the same, I use the same methodology, but, yeah, uh, the lack is starting to get way more evident. Let's go this way. We'll have to transition slowly to Calgary Flames hats, yeah, I think. Probably, uh, probably. <laughs> Moving to the next one. Okay, but I digress. Uh, yeah. Still talking about uh, private links. Um, is the general available uh, of support for private links in Azure Monitor Agent? So this is another good example, okay? On are you monitoring? Are you passing that information? That now you're going to uh, to data collection endpoint that is going to be associated with that VM. That's going to be internal. Uh, internal, I mean, not going through the through the public interface. You're going to your network, right? Correct. Yep. And again, it's about keeping logging data on private network, managed network, known good, Microsoft backbone, very secure, physically secure as well uh, as virtually. And, uh, you know, this is one of those good things. I, I love the acronym that they've coined, the AMPLES, <laughs> the Azure, Azure Monitor Private Link Scopes, yeah. right? So uses, again, scoping to help uh, create those definitions of where can this traffic go, who can access it, what can it do. So just following all those best practices that we kind of uh, are familiar with already and applying it to uh, the Azure Monitor agent and how that data is handled or collected in this Absolutely. case. Absolutely. And that's, that's the best of that. It's, it's yeah, I think you, you said it, everything. Uh, and 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 all, <laughs> sorry. And, and all on on this, this is a GA. So now now we can yeah. start using and we can start seeing that. So and that's if we're looking this now. If if you allow me to just a little bit outside of of this, but talking about this at the same time is if you're starting to see all of this private link, all of these services that you start they starting as a public service and by what I mean is public on the internet now now it's you starting to get all of that trafficking going um, on the private link means that now you can connect through your network on the hybrid world right and not going to outside because sometimes I'm starting to see a lot of organizations that they are 100% on the cloud right but does it make any sense to go outside to go inside again Right, and now they're starting to understand that kind of. Um, I think Microsoft it was really smart to analyze that because it doesn't make any sense. Companies or organizations that they are almost like a hundred percent on the cloud, they don't have anything on premise. Why do I need to go to the internet to come back again and uh, to configure those firewalls, configure all of those type of things? Um, while I can use your awesome backbone, right? Exactly, right. And you know, they, uh, they, Microsoft has done a lot of work 
over the last, uh, let's say, three years, especially yeah. through uh, the pandemic up to now, where that backbone, that Microsoft backbone, is now, uh, can I say the word technically ripping? Uh, is that is that maybe the right, <laughs> the right definition? But there's there's 100 gig in a lot of instances and even faster, right? So uh, like networking and the fiber on, on the Microsoft backbone between data centers within a region, and but also between regions, they're interconnected in that yeah. mesh, right? Um, Microsoft has the region website. And from there, I remember, I'm probably going to get the names wrong, so forgive me, but uh, from the region's definition website, um, they have like this little 3D model graphic that they have that shows the mesh and you can kind of click and drag uh, like uh, Bing maps on, uh, I want to say Google Earth, but the Bing version, you know what I'm trying yeah. to say, right? <laughs> I didn't say anything else, <laughs> but there's a cool 3D model and you can see how that mesh actually comes together. Um, between data centers and between regions. And it's really, really friggin' cool um, because that that's the private link. That is your private link between regions, between data centers. When you add an express route, you insert yourself onto that Azure backbone at your, your entrance point to the Microsoft backbone network through various data centers that participate as partners, right? So there there's lots of opportunity to take advantage of that better security and i love what you say and you and i have dealt with it when we've had clients together as well and we kind of we we chuckle but it's a it's a serious thing because a lot of uh configurations do have traffic yes. leaving or egress from azure just to come right back in off of that next routing hop it hits it and says oh yeah well i want to come back in here uh, why just stop that silliness and stay on the Azure backbone so that you have uh, better security. First of all, you stay internal, uh, but it's also so much faster and you can reduce the network load overall quite significantly. They think about one customer with what I would call a misconfiguration that does that. And think about it at the scale of Azure with all customers yeah, absolutely. doing that. That's a lot of wasted it is, traffic. It is a lot of wasted traffic, but yeah. Absolutely correct on that part, and, and it's good. It's awesome to see that. It's also awesome to see the this update. That is the one that we were, we were talking about previously. Is the generally available best practice assessment for SQL Server on Azure Virtual Machines? So mm -hmm. this is it was the one that we were talking about. So now we can see the best practices. Okay an assessment of best practice regarding uh, uh, the SQL, right? And to be able to to, uh, to see that on virtual machines. So this is not about Azure SQL. This is about running SQL inside of a virtual machine. Okay. So Correct. it's exactly the same thing as running SQL on premise. Okay. It is. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. It's running inside that VM and uh, say you've migrated an application, one of those yes. VMs might be a SQL server. Now it's SQL server running inside an Azure yeah. VM. In Although Azure. the curious about this is, 
it does use the log analytics to collect that information. It does. The part that I, I have a beef with on this one isn't the log analytics workspace for storage. It's actually the yeah. MMA. Because, <laughs> because this is a technology we know is being sunset over the next couple of years. <laughs> so Microsoft, why are we launching new assessment tools and capabilities using this? Just go straight to AMA for the Azure monitor agent instead, the new model. But I know that some of the support around a lot of the kind of security work that I do is still, I guess we call in development for yes. AMA versus MMA. Not to get too many acronyms going in here, but um, I would love to see the roadmap included in the next update with this because it's a really awesome uh, capability to be able to do the full best practices assessment. And this is critical, right? Because a lot of organizations think that they have SQL buttoned up. And then we move them with the application into Azure. We do, uh, we do the Azure migrate. We fail it over into a test network. We run the Koala scanner on it, and bam, it's full of holes, and everybody goes crazy because it's like, well, why, why did this happen? And this can help keep that cleaned up and keep those configurations and your your SQL best practices, but also your security best practices really clean and this is part of an overall solution it's one of those onion layers again right but it's it's one of those things that we can do to really help the overall configuration of an application so like you were saying there's a cost um and uh they're saying when when the assessment's running it's five to ten percent of the cpu that can be a big deal on a sql server as you know um but especially when it's in Azure, because we can't just kind of dynamically add an extra core onto the VM like we do in, in Hyper-V. But we have to think about that cost as part of when we schedule that yes. best practices assessment Absolutely. to run, is I guess what I'm trying yeah, to say. Yeah, because you can run these uh, basically uh, on two ways, on schedule and on demand. So we need to be careful with that. But again, this is, this is not to... To run all the time, uh, we can schedule the off-peak hours, um, and yeah, and it doesn't have to be like once a day or once a week. This is something you do once a month or once a quarter. Yeah, probably uh, more on that cadence than anything else, because this is just to evaluate if you are or not good. Although in these reports, the part that I like it because I did test this um, um, not long time ago, like this week, when uh, even when was on, 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 on private preview, I did test this. And the part that I like is the part of the trends. That's why my idea of running this probably is going to be a little bit shorter than, for example, once in a year or once every semester. Uh, because usually say, yeah, but this is the best practice. We don't, we cover once and that's it. It's not that way. Uh, this should be used on a different ways, right? Because there are recommendations exactly. that uh, it analyzes the performance of your SQL, 
analyze the performance of of some of those fixtures that you are updating um, and a lot of that so um, it it analyzes things like it recommends like for example you should move your index from this key to another key to improve that because on the last whatever you've been performing way way more uh, retired fixtures for example exactly and so to, to get access to that type of analysis, we kind of traditionally in on-prem world, we've had to go to a third-party yes. tool or writing custom scripts, things like that. No, and that was the job of a, a DBA out uh, like. It, it is, but often we automate using third-party yes. tools or something to make jobs and life a little less stressful, yeah. right? And this is, this is a deep analysis of the SQL yeah. configuration and performance, yep. um, not just kind of the overall like, oh yeah, you should add you know five uh, five gigs more RAM or whatever. No, uh, this is a very deep analysis of how things are running and how you can do it more efficiently or effectively as well in your configurations. Yeah. And there is the part that I like is the trends page. The trends page is where it's is where it shows all of the changes over time. So mm -hmm. it gives you that, okay, and now you can start analyzing what, when we run this, compared with when we run this before, when we run now and three months, for example, before, and starting comparing those to see if the issues is being resolved or is not being resolved. So even for organization, now I'm starting to thinking on how I can apply this, even if you have an organization that they have, for example, managed service, this should be a report that should be mandatory every three months, like say every quarter, to see if the issue that you have on your SQL server um, is being solved from the previous quarter, right? Exactly, exactly. It gives us a bit of a, a yes, tool to comparison. built into yeah. Azure, by the way, right, to help improve our exactly. operations. Yeah, I love it. Like, this is the kind of update that really makes yeah. a difference. And, and yeah, uh, and, and go forward with the next one that we've been talking so far. It is the Rollup 61, March 2022 of the Azure Site Recovery update, okay? Can I just pause? For one to pause the video and no. say, no. Oh, no, no, just just, just, uh, just, just a I just want to have another sidetracked little ADD <laughs> moment here, but <laughs> welcome. And by the way, thank you for subscribing and loving our podcast. I don't know if you like it, but I know you love it. <laughs> uh, we do, <laughs> we have a little fun here, and uh, this is one of those things. I just want to say, Congratulations to ASR. You've made it over 60 roll-up updates. This is update 61. Yep. So well done to the ASR product and services team. Amazing work because ASR, as you know, is my first love of Azure. And it has a special spot in my heart, but also uh, it performs a very critical backup and site recovery service. Migration tools. All Whatever it is, you can use it in so very many ways. Cross-region support, all these, 
on-prem to cloud, cloud to on, uh, like all over the place, right? So you can do such cool stuff with this and it's expanded so much, 61 updates. I feel remiss yeah. that we somehow didn't report on the number 60, but congratulations on 61. Yes. <laughs> and I just wanted to say that. Uh, I apologize for side No, no worries. I, I no, thought it was really cool. No, is it all? But yes, it's 61. Uh, although uh, this is going to, to be exactly the same way as we're talking about, okay? So there are new mobility service, uh, okay? You need to download um, the, the appliance, in this case, the template. You need to update that. And remember, you have to start from the portal, okay? Um, and going down until the mobility service. Uh, so you need to update the portal first, and you need to update then the the templates and the agents, um, and then going to the mobility service uh, as well. Um, the parts that uh, there are a few things uh, regarding this is is the support, the added support for Debian, and the new Ubuntu twenty uh, distributions distros. And the part of uh, adding the support for the teen provisional logical management, uh, volume management, the LVM. Um, that is the part that it's, it's the most um, updated one. Uh, and again, I remember this when I, like seven years ago or eight years ago, um, it was the very first year of my MVP. Uh, seven or eight years ago, I start, I already lost traction. That was called the Hyper-V recover, Site Recover. Yep, yep. It was something like that. That I, I love it at that time, and I've been using since. And I have to say that this saved us, um, both in, in, in several occasions, saved me, mm-hmm. um, a lot of those, and, um, yeah, in, in situations of 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 a lot of things, ASR has been a tool that has been your... Yeah, is one of my favorite tools, always been and is always at the top one. And, and to see what is coming and to see the evolution of this tool and what you can do, it's tremendous. It is literally tremendous right now. So, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. It's such a powerful tool. And I mean, you download this, I I wanted to say a little bit, it never is, is this template. And you fire up the VM and it's kind of off to the races. It does a lot of the discovery. It does a lot of kind of the hard work, the heavy lifting for us. And we do some configuration. It's not light touch. There is some, some pretty deep config that we have to do but it enables us to create a remote site, synchronize our virtual machines from where we deploy it to somewhere in Azure. And and then magically, it allows us to do these test recoveries and simulate an actual DR event. What happens if my data center becomes unreachable for whatever the reason, right? Well, fail over to your your ASR location, and we can now even build 
a lot of automations around this. It's kind of a, to me, it's a magical thing. It's absolutely amazing. Um, but that product team works so bloody hard on this stuff. And uh, to have such great updates month after month, it, it blows me away. And I just, I think that uh, this is one of those unsung heroes of Azure. Yes, and I just want to add that right? this this tool, <laughs> possibility of the feature that this tool enables, um, it did change quite a bit of our um, our way to work, uh, because yeah, uh, the way that and even the certifications, like the the compliance certification that you have, like socks and and and. 27,000, ISO 27,001 and all of those, it completely changed because now in the certification, you're starting to see that now you have to present a, um, a disaster recovery test plan and test and validation of that plan, okay? Um, and uh, make sure that works. And, and, and exactly. this tool, it's what it's one of the tools that allows you to do that, right? Yeah, and, and we should we should say that just because it's part of a huge numbered ISO standard doesn't mean that it's unattainable Absolutely. for a small business that has critical systems. This my is house, a tool that is the smallest of business. I have two hyper-Vs on my house, and everything that I have over here, it's been replicated directly to Azure. Um, why I'm doing that? It's just because I don't want to lose any information. And sometimes I just want to run a test or a demo or something like that, that I want on my environment that I set exactly. up over here that have hours of configuration. Uh, right. That's something I think that some yes. people take for granted, um, not to call anybody out specifically. I'm just thinking kind of in general, but you know, some people think that these demos that we do for different things uh, just kind of drop out of the sky onto a plate and they magically work, right? From the sky, no, but from Azure, yes. Right? I asked Marcos to give me a demo of some of these cloud services. So he looked up, did a special cloud dance, yeah. <laughs> and now ASR is magically working. Well, yeah. not quite. Much like a really well-cooked supper, it takes hours of preparation and work to make it look easy when it goes on to that demo. Yeah, exactly. Right? <laughs> so. and, and, and a lot of time is, um, yeah, and I've been doing that for a long time, as you as well, and I think everyone, that we have scripted. But still, running the script, it, it takes hours. I remember one. Oh, it takes time. Every six months, you have to update the scripts because all the commands. I remember change. one that I used to have uh, that was not developed by me, but it was developed by by a very smart folks uh, at Microsoft um, and some other um, MVPs that they create a script that builds your system center um, platform. I don't know if you remember those. Uh, man, I did a lot of presentations about that, how you can build your lab. My good friend, oh, Dave yes. Kaula, uh, built a book, an awesome book, how to build your lab with step-by-step. -step. Um, it's it's really good, that that book. I have uh, yes, book. I have. It's, it's behind me as well. Um, 
and all of that is is about scripting but even that i remember that one of the times um i had uh, i always get prepared and we always get those those um discs with with duplicate information because when you are on the road and you are for example on ignite uh, you need to make sure that everything is correct so we bring like three laptops we bring everything right and sometimes it's it's to make sure that uh, everything runs and and i remember doing a presentation with 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 dave kaula for example how to build a three node cluster in less than 20 minutes uh, for example and we cook uh, one of his laptops um and gladly that we bring another one uh, because it was so intense uh, on that that the laptop could not handle it because it was one of our tests so you can imagine how hard we hit those laptops over and over and over and over again exactly so we oh, cooked yeah. one of those uh, and it's like i remember end to end to have the entire solution uh, building it was taking a lot of hours a lot of hours like it was like you run the script you download you download the isos you starting to install the os starting to do all of this it basically builds your active directory basically builds the entire domain it adds the, the the vms and in order and all of that and and creates and and builds the system center virtual machine manager and builds the templates and builds all of that, everything automated. It was a beauty. It was really a beauty just to see that working. Still have this at mine. Uh, and another day I want to see it uh, running because it has been so long. Can you imagine that running on some of the brand new uh, hardware? No, I, I don't, uh, to be very honest. Uh, on my computer, I could. Um, it could be faster, but um, I don't need to. Because I build one, right? And now I, I, I in this case, I, uh, I, I send it to the cloud, right? I, I kind of replicate to the cloud. And now if I want to do some kind of other tests or whatever it is, I just build that bubble uh, on, on, on Azure through the ASR and that's it. So yeah, and, and man, we cannot, we cannot do this. It's... When we talk about ASR, we can be hours over here. Okay. Okay. So let's, I'll, I'll say the thing. Let's go to the next one here. So general availability, enablement of combined security information registration for Azure Active Directory. What, guys? Yeah. But before you go, I have to say thank you for stopping me talking about ASR. Keep going. <laughs> well, you were actually right. We probably could have kept going exactly. for about another hour or so. So in the efforts of getting dinner at some point <laughs> in our night, we should, we should, we should talk about yes. combined security uh, registration. So we've been telling our clients about this good configuration item, a good secure configuration item for months and months now. So they, uh, Microsoft, I should say, announced uh, way back in uh april uh april 2020 it says right in front of me <laughs> i should just i should just read the update right uh so in april 2020 they announced hey we're going to make this the default later on for 
uh, new tenants and stuff. So anything created after August 15th, 2020 has combined registration enabled already. If you have an older tenant, you've been around for maybe a couple years on the Azure AD side, you can go in and turn this on. So don't turn it on, just willy-nilly. Go in and uh, have a bit of a think about it. What it does... Willy-nilly? I know. What is that? I, I, don't, I, I don't know, know that expression. Uh, it means without thinking oh, okay. and without planning. So this is an item that we need to put through change management. <laughs> willy-nilly. Because we're changing a configuration in our Azure AD, right? Um, so we have to follow good process and good tracking, and that means use a change management process. Um, Mr. Willie would <laughs> would just very much and nearly just come in and change settings all over the place. So that's, I guess, maybe what I'm poking fun at here. But um, it's like an old Canadian saying um, that way. But anyways, so combined registration allows your users to register for multi-factor authentication, which I know you're already using and you have fully deployed, right? because you would never not use MFA in your Azure AD instance, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, right? So <laughs> I was in fact talking with yet another client that has uh, having some struggles along that, which is why I say wink, wink, nudge, nudge. You know who you are, uh, call me, <laughs> we'll help you. 1-800-ANGELOS. Oh right, just give us a call, exactly. we got you. Uh, there's always complexity. If it was easy, everybody would yeah. have already done this, right? Um, but we have to work through those complexities. And this is part of that. So this combined registration says, okay, so if your user has set up uh, the Azure, uh, Microsoft Authenticator app on their cell phone and they're registered as, uh, you know, marcos at domain.com, then I was going to say Andrew at marcos.com and I knew that didn't sound right. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, uh, yeah, it's probably past uh, coffee yes. time here. <laughs> um, so you're registered for one or two methods, right? So maybe you've answered some security questions as well to help with uh, multi-factor authentication, make validating your identity that you are in fact you. Now, if you set up self-service password reset or SSPR, a lot of times if we don't have combined registration enabled, we actually have to do all that same stuff again, right? Um, in comes the magic of the Microsoft blue slider. We turn it from gray to blue, left to right. We turn it on, combined registration. Now we're automatically registered for SSPR and MFA at the same time. And it works in both directions. Uh, yeah. I wanna say that too. So if you register for SSPR, it's the same thing. Although I know you're already using MFA. Wink, wink. Uh, I say, wink, wink, nexus, <laughs> right? Wink, wink. Okay. Nudge, nudge. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's you. You touch your point that this is not only for us IT guys. Okay, this is affecting users because it does. If you decide to do MFA in one time, and then you say, "Oh, wait a minute, I should do it as well." The SSPR. Uh, it affects again the users because they really need to register twice for the same. It, it was last. It, it is frustrating, frustrating when you have to do that. It stuff, is because right? you have to think that is is another change that you need to do it. It's another communication that you need to send out to the users. 
and the users they need to do repeat exactly the same and sometimes and this is the interesting part the registration for one is not the same as the registration for the other one depending, depending on the option that you choose especially for sspr it can be complicated to do i'm that just going on one one thing is like for example the questions that can be because the one. thing is if you are if you are doing questions for example for uh, register for mfa to kind of doing all of those type of things right um, or for sspr you're doing questions you theoretically have without the custom questions okay you have about 45 questions out of the box yeah something, something like that, like that but you can only choose yeah. 20 okay so what does that mean it means that microsoft gives you 45 default questions okay and now you have to nick and uh, nick and pick 20 of those that you are providing to the customer for them to answer those okay of course that besides those 45 questions you can have your custom questions like for example what is your employee id something like that right uh, that, that you can exactly. create to your your um uh, your users uh, in this case to respond to them and they can choose from those they can choose up to five questions uh, from one to up to five questions but now imagine the scenario that when you register for mfa that you are doing for example either the authenticator but for that is the way that you are configuring your devices and everything else or you're doing you're doing for example uh, the uh, the uh, text message or the email or the phone call or whatever or even if you choose um, the questions okay uh, you might choose different questions absolutely yeah you can you can totally end up with that disparity between and mfa and sspr absolutely and, that, and yeah. by doing this like you like you say the slider uh, it's it's a simple method you just combine and now the combination of methods is going to be the same either if you want to uh, re uh, reset your password or even change your device from MFA because that that can happen exactly yeah you have you to have reset to reset a new device, device and all of that so yeah I want to talk about too, um, and I, I know I, I, I didn't intend to actually go this deep with this one and I apologize, but um, I want to talk about what happens when we are already registered for both. What if we're registered now for MFA and for SSPR separately? What happens when we go to update our data? You need My phone number changes. It's the answer to one of my security questions yeah. or something like yes. that, right? And you have to update things, um, you know, all that stuff, you know, the color of your car, that kind of thing. So if you go in and update that without combined registration, you have to update it in two yeah. places still. So it, it can really help our end users to be more open to yeah. the things we need them to do. Like SSPR can be a real lifesaver for tier one yeah. of a help desk because it really does eliminate a lot of those kind of quick fixes with can you re reset my password or 
geez, I was on vacation yeah. and I forget Absolutely. my password. That ha- like yeah. it happens all the time to everybody. It's a, a normal human thing. So we can we can really help with that stuff. But combined registration is a great way to help uh, yes, kind of absolutely. calm all. Although that. there are a few details on this update that I think we should cover. One of them is sure. beginning of October first of this year, 2022. This is going to be a default for all the tenants. Okay, that's correct. So if you create a tenant after this, it's going to be default. So that's a good that's sure. good news. Because even if you decided to enable MFA only or and after you enable SSPR, the registration is going to be one, period. The other one is yeah. from if, you, if your tenant is, is created from August 15, 2020, uh, this change doesn't, doesn't impact you, okay? You can do the slider, but doesn't impact you and doesn't impact either in any tenant on China region. But if you are previous to That's this, correct. okay, that is your experience is going to be different. So if you are previous to August 15, 2020, your tenant, okay, not you, your tenant, is that that's where it's going to be impactful. So that is what Microsoft is saying that is your registration is in two different places. That's correct. Younger and younger yeah. admins all the time. Born in 2020. <laughs> <laughs> so I just want to, to bring that up because I think it's important to make sure that that is, is done, right? So, um, and that and that's going to be a change that is, is for the better, okay? It's not to complicate, it's to simplify our work because sometimes, and I did this it was not last it was last week that the per, the, the, the organization changed for example from this sync to Azure AD Connect and they want to enable mm-hmm. the SSPR. So and they had MFA and they had to re-register again. And and I, yes. I said to him, if we're doing this, we will combine and uh, we will have everything together. Uh, and you don't need to to disturb. No more yes. re-registration. They need to exactly. do it um, to validate, okay? To validate yes. those questions. And it's highly recommend that they do that, uh, to validate those questions at least once every six months. Um, it, yeah, and Azure AD does actually uh, pop up to, to say, hey, Andrew, you need to review yeah. your questions. Click here for you know more details or whatever and you can skip for i can't remember i think it's like 10 days or 14 days or something but eventually you have to do it and you have to reconfirm the information but it's not the same as setting it up it's It's a it's a display you validate you click on yep i'm cool with it and away you go but it's it's different okay but it's a very nice update and finally we're starting to see those coming alive right exactly on the same way as, as going on on these timelines as the next one. And the next one is the select Azure dedicated host SKUs will be retired at the end of the month of next year. So uh, exactly. 31st of March, 2023, the DS V3 type one and two and the ES V3 type one and two is going to be gone. So 
This exactly. is coming as expected. This is the refresh of the dedicated host, so means that they are refreshing those con those servers, and those type of servers will no longer be available. Bigger, better, and badder servers are out there yeah. now. So this is kind of the natural cycle. The ones that were launched yes. some time ago, uh, always they're they're moving ahead, right? So. Um, and, you know, to be honest, we have a one year to plan for it, but like all projects, we just have to get it onto the project schedule so that we know, hey, we have to tackle yeah. this challenge, right? So this is our one year warning and those those DSB3 and ESB3 type one and twos, uh, we have to make sure that we move or migrate to a newer or different, I guess I should just say different version of those dedicated yeah. host SKUs if we still need it. And in the update, they do they do provide some nice recommended yes, updates absolutely. for us, right? And, and I just want to reinforce that this is for dedicated hosts. So this is not VMs. Yes, correct. This is dedicated hosts. What does that mean? means that you have a host, a physical server running on Azure. Okay. You're running a exactly. very little host in so Azure. Everything on top of that, you have to migrate as well. So it's better for you to do it. And probably this in certain cases, okay, uh, I don't know what was the reason behind you create, you need a dedicated host, but probably it's time to revisit if you really need dedicated hosts because oh, it's a you have to, to think about it that this time will come in the future again. So you need to plan this exactly. accordingly and to try to see if you really need this host, if there are some strong business requirements to have this dedicated host, because this will never happen on VMs, okay? Um, VMs, they can, they can get upgraded from version to version, but the way that you migrate is basically shut down the VM, change, in this case, the, the, the size, and power up again, and here you go. Uh, in this case, you really need to migrate the entire workload. And sometimes it's really time consuming. It's it's really it's a really effort to do that, right? Because yeah. Yeah. We also we have to remember that this is this is kind of a big deal on these ones, um, which is I think why they you know this is the second notice I know that I remember we've had on this. So a one year can disappear pretty quick when running assessments to, on how to get off of these dedicated hosts. But by moving from a type one or two to a three or four, um, that's a cost change as well. And you have more resources on those newer, bigger, um, we'll call them bare metal dedicated hosts. Uh, so, you know, you can, you're gonna at a minimum have extra resources available. It's not kind of a like for yeah. like um that we would deal with more in the virtualization world this is this is a new server a new physical that's being racked in and uh yeah. with all the new yeah. bells and whistles and, and, and they even mentioned right? so, that there is the ability to potentially consolidate your workloads and reduce the number of hosts so so it's yeah. it's it's good thing for you as well um and it's good thing for everyone but you have to remember that probably this is the way that you can uh, uh, try to push you.
because at the end of that, at the end of March of 2023, this is going to be retired. So you need to move them. Uh, otherwise, you will not have access anymore, probably, and you will you will have some disruption on your application running on that host. So with that, unfortunately, we come to the end of our podcast. It's been one of the the quite big ones, but that's okay. We've been long for a long time, and that was expected. With, yes, absolutely, absolutely. Right? So I want to thank you once again, Andrew, uh, for for the marvelous insight. It's always good to have this conversation. It times flies, at least for me. I thought that when I said the clock, that was only like 20 minutes, but it, it, it isn't. It's a little bit more than that. Just just a tiny bit. I, I don't keep exactly. track of when we shut, so it's all good. <laughs> but I want to thank you, and I want to thank you, our um, subscribers, uh, from the podcast, Absolutely. either to uh, the audio podcast or the video podcast. Uh, don't forget to smash that like button um, to just give us some feedback. Um, and uh, thank you once again. So um, I hope I can see you next week. And bye for now. <laughs>